This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, I'm at Otago Polytechnic today, and I am joined by James Crofts Bennett. Kira James. Hey there, Sam. Where are you, James? I'm currently in the botany department uh, storeroom, I believe. (laughs) The (laughs) quietest place in the botany department. When I'm traveling and recording with people and I arrange to talk to them, I always say, I'm happy to meet in your office, but really, a storeroom with cardboard boxes would be better. And people can't bring themselves to show me to the, 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 the storeroom at whatever university it is. But there you are, in a storeroom in the botany department. How was your lockdown? Oh, it was great. I got very, very familiar with the uh, spider population living just outside my window. <laughs> were you in Dunedin for the lockdown oh yes 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 lockdown in the old flat um, uh, being a student you, it's easy to do a lot of your work from home cool. what you you've st- done all your field work already what are you studying uh, spiders very much spiders <laughs> oh, and what about spiders uh, I don't like to stick myself down to individual things because I like spiders as a whole. That's why I'm in a botany department because uh, currently there's a big focus on spider ecology in New Zealand. And uh turns out the one place you want to find spiders is uh, vegetation. I was going to point out that spiders are zoology, not botany. I have a botany <laughs> degree. I know this. Oh, yes, but there's a very, very special relationship between arachnids and plants. <laughs> Do tell. They're, um, well, they're amongst, I mean, if we want to go right back, if we're talking about the two first things to conquer land, back when life was mostly an oceanic affair, uh, plants are obviously amongst the first, but when it came to animals, arachnids have got a very good claim to being perhaps the first for animals, particularly it was scorpions, but uh, spiders weren't too far behind, I don't think. Were they well-developed underwater and then crawled out? Well, scorpions were. I mean, true spiders, I believe it's only 280 million years ago they started turning up in the uh, fossil record. Uh, But, I mean, there were things that looked very familiar to the spider form back then that were more water-based. And spider, I mean, how many spiders are there? Not not, not, not individuals, not like Fred and Harry and James. (laughs) For species, uh, it's, I think, 45,000 named species. But that's like considered to be half of all there probably in existence. Well, New Zealand's quite special um, in regards to that because we're quite a small place in the grand scheme of things. But uh, for New Zealand, the name species is over 1,200. 
Uh, and there's thought to be an additional 800 to be named at the very least. And it's that high number because it is naturally high, or is there a higher percentage named? Uh, it's hard to tell for New Zealand. New Zealand's a very, I mean, when people found, when, when, when people found New Zealand, it was a, a magical place, wasn't it? It was a whole lot of things that just didn't make sense in the grand scheme of things. And it happened a lot with entomologists too when they hit. Uh, they came here and they hit this place hard. Or there were, there's one particular guy who worked on spiders who uh, did a lot more than anyone else. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about Raymond Forster, who uh, when we talk about the 1,200 named species, he named over half of them. So, <laughs> wow. And they they his naming is stuck. It wasn't just that he was seeing a a spider and then a slightly bigger spider and calling it something different. Oh no, he was he was pretty thorough there is a little bit of that here and there although uh particularly i've been asked to look at some uh, more avoidy spiders who are under scrutiny for that very thing people are worried about uh particularly i got told there's two species over in fjordland who uh share some space and one's quite big and one's quite small by comparison and i thought mm, sometimes spiders can be big or small in the same species but i've had a look at the, the morphology i'm like oh pretty distinct to be honest so I think they may actually, Forster might have had a point, or uh, whoever named them. I'm pretty sure it was Forster. <laughs> he did name most of them. It's a fairly safe bet. <laughs> Let's take David Bowie, Rock and Roll, Suicide. Do you have a story about David Bowie? And oh, spiders. I have a story about a spider named after David Bowie. <laughs> That's close enough. There's, a, oh, there's a absolutely, an absolutely stunning huntsman. Uh, huntsmen are found all over the world. Except, well, you do get them in New Zealand, but they're not supposed to be from here. But there's one, um, I believe it's from, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in a lot of trouble because I'm going to get this wrong. I think I think it's Central America, or at very least South America, that has a beautiful, it has a yellow space, uh, almost like a yellow patch of hair on its head that runs down to the top of its fangs, it's Chilicera, that was named, um, the species name was David Bowieye. That's cool. It's, it, it absolutely. You, you, you look at the spider and you think that, that that's an appropriate name. <laughs> Time takes a cigarette, puts it in your mouth. You pull on your finger. Then another finger, then cigarette The water wall is calling It lingers, then you forget Oh, 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 oh You're a rock and roll suicide You're too old to lose it Too young to choose it and the clock waits so patiently on your song You walk past the cafe But you don't eat when you've lived too long Oh no, no, no You're a rock and roll suicide Shift breakfast snarling As you stumble across the road but the day breaks instead, so you hurry home Don't let the sun blast your shadow Don't let the milk float rob your mind 
What got you into spiders, James? Oh, it's it, to me. It feels like it's just always been that way. But uh, talking to my auntie, I was flung out to my auntie, and my auntie didn't want me to be afraid of spiders like my uh, biological mother was. So she gave me a lot of books about spiders. <laughs> May have had more than the intended effect. <laughs> yeah, it could have. Could have. That could have gone really badly, or really. It could have gone in any direction, couldn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, she get, to be fair, she gave me books about all sorts of things. Uh, I was a very uh, frightful child, afraid of clouds. <laughs> so she gave me a bit of everything, but uh, spiders were the one that stuck out of all of them. So you're not a meteorologist, but you are an... What's a spiderologist called? Well, I, 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 an arachnologist to me, because I like to keep my doors open, but to be, to be very specific, it would be an arachnologist. But being an arachnologist does dip into meteorology a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you studying in particular? Right now, I'm um, paying homage to Forster by going through his collection over at the museum. It's the biggest collection of spiders in New Zealand, and it is absolutely immense. And I'm going through and I'm helping catalogue what remains that hasn't been catalogued yet. And I'm going to extract a bunch of data from that for locations that Forster visited. And then hopefully I'm going to go out and resample where Forster collected and see if it's any different now than it was back then. That's cool. It would be very interesting. There's a, there's a, bit, of a, a bit of an alarming event going on right now called the uh, invertebrate um, extinction event. We're seeing a lot of invertebrates maybe falling in abundance and diversity. Nothing ironclad, so we'll be very careful about making certain statements, but... Uh, it is alarming, and I'm worried about spiders, of course, so I want to go and make sure that the spiders are doing okay. And New Zealand, we'd like to think of ourselves as very green, but our habitat is changing, so it would be nice to go and see if any of those, even the minor changes, have had an impact on our spiderkin. So what sorts of things would affect the spider populations? All sorts of things you wouldn't expect. The big one that shook, shook me when I first started at botany was that vegetation texture availability would change. Uh, you go from a forest to say a grassland, you expect there to be a habitat change and you'll get a difference in spiders. In the grass, you'll find your wolf spiders, uh, you'll find Dolomites, uh, the, the nursery web spider makes those beautiful white tents. 
Um, you'll find a bunch of introduced spiders, uh, lots of the little theridids, uh, cryptokia comes to mind, and uh, the money spider from Europe. Uh, oh, God, here we go. Uh, Diplocephalus um, Christus, I believe. Uh, it's it's this tiny little wonderful black spider. That you um, It's tiny, but if you find it, you're supposed to throw it over your shoulder for wealth, mm -hmm. an old French tradition. But yeah, they're, they're not from around here, but they've come over and they quite like our grasslands. Whereas if I go into the forest, I expect to find all of our big mygalomorphs. Uh, I expect to find Cycloctinidius, uh, which is basically a wolf spider, but it likes the forest rather than other way. It's not the same family, so don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> And uh, there's also other stuff, uh, Cambridgia, Uliodon, all of the our, our big spiders, our big fancy spiders. They like they like the forest cover. Well, the Cambridgia, they're, they're known to like bathtubs as well. <laughs> but are yeah, some, you expect to be a distinct difference. Are some spiders particularly invasive? Uh, it's very, it's very, very difficult to make a statement about that because some are introduced but a lot of them are self-introduced when they come to new zealand uh, particularly a lot of spiders come over from australia and uh, some of those spiders did that a long time ago like before humans were here i think the most famous one's probably a catapo spider which a uh, latrodictus catapo used to be latrodictus hasselty the redback spider but came over and settled down and evolution took its course and now we've had a reintroduction of redback spiders and it's like eh, but what about the redback spiders that came here by their own accord is it it's, it's becomes very difficult to make statements about whether or not we're allowed to call those invasive because they came here themselves the same way we came here ourselves. Why? How come Australia's got scary spiders and we've got less scary spiders? Oh, because we're just we're just a relaxing, peaceful place. So. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of stuff here I don't know, but if I was to throw some of what I think I know out there, I think the big one is that it's metabolically expensive to create potent venom or lots of venom uh, it's just metabolically expensive to be afraid all the time and be willing to bite stuff all the time so our spiders kind of chilled out i mean there were no uh, no mammals of course there were still birds and birds are probably the biggest predators of spiders but there are ways around and avoiding birds um there's some wonderful work by barbara barrett actually that found uh, spiders are beginning to remember what it's like to be around mammals since we introduced rodents here particularly um our big famous spider, Porthelia antipodidiana, the um, the black tunnelweed that everyone knows about. If you've ever seen a big, fat, hairy black spider in your backyard, that's the spider we're talking about. Um, they're beginning to redevelop uh, aversion aversion behaviours towards mammals, particularly mice. It's something that Barbara Barrett noted over in Fiordland, and I think it's truly wonderful. It shows the scope of her, how quickly these things develop if it's happening within our lifetime. Is that learnt, or is that evolutionary it's very difficult to tell we're it's when it comes to parenting with spiders uh i don't think we can safely say we know anything we sort of assume that they just have a lot of babies there's a little bit of parental care and they sort of let them go uh i wouldn't be say i wouldn't feel comfortable saying that uh but it's it could be it, it, they always talk about these instinctual memories it could be that uh, I'm not convinced myself, but uh, I'm just one man. Our fear of spiders, not mine, of course, other people I know. Where does that come from? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to handle this question. Um, the most immediate one, and this is the one that's important to me, 
is that for the current generation, it's always inherited from the previous generation. It's not some sort of primordial memory as such, not in the sense of our ancestors were afraid of spiders, so we're afraid of spiders. But if you're in a house with your mother or your father or a parent of any sort who uh, happens to exhibit an extreme fear of spiders, such as my mother has, and you see them screaming at a spider when you're at a very young age, uh, it very quickly traumatizes you into being afraid of spiders. <laughs> I didn't have that experience because I was fung out to my auntie and my auntie wasn't, she, she's not fond of spiders, but she doesn't scream at spiders. So I never had that experience where I was like, spiders it must be bad because, you know, the person who's in charge around here is afraid of them. I need to be afraid of them. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mi aroha noe kia koutou, katawahau. I hope you're all happy stay, beautiful superstars, and hope, I really hope this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining for you each day, who you are, the triumph of nature's art, unique, and things better. So as we all know, we've been through so much together over the last more than I'm so grateful for these five minutes together as we have traversed this very challenging and fascinating, fascinating, traumational time together. I know that through so much, so many ups and downs, so much learning, so much growth, much co-evolution, all life and thank you for all you, all you are. So for me at the moment, I'm particularly enjoying this change of season. Here we find ourselves in the midst of a wintry icy blast here in Aote Porti Stunedin we've had the first ice appearing on the waterways and the grasslands at Orokunui. The children and I have really enjoyed collecting piles of hail and looking at all the frozen puddles and it really is a, a wonderful time seeing how water can change all these different forms and modes it can move through much like ourselves. Of course we are mostly water so it makes sense. But yes, I have been really enjoying experiencing Orokunui and indeed the outside world in a different way at this time of year. And I know for all of us all over the world, we almost forget the intensity of these different seasons and we almost forget the changes that it makes for us on so many different levels as our environment changes. For me, I find that being outside when it's really cold in many ways serves as an awakening and a sense of my senses being sharpened and I feel more alert and more roused into awareness. It's quite powerful. And then I really relish the opportunity to be warm and cosy inside. So there's some oppositions and some dualities there to enjoy those, those differences, those extremes. So I really hope for you, whatever's happening around you in terms of your environmental factors, you're able to find ways that these changes, these shifts can heighten your awareness and bring you into a sense of deeper connection with the present moment in a way that's really supportive to you. I had a lovely time this morning, quite early in the morning, and I was thinking, oh, will it be okay? Will it have snowed everywhere and will I be able to get out there? But in the end, I could get out there. The roads were open. And I made my way to Otakunui quite early this morning to meet with some wonderful outdoor education students. And for all of us, many of them had come from up north where it's of course much warmer. 
for all of us getting out into the cold, into the crispness, into the rain, was really exciting. And we all set off and had a great adventure. And I, of course, was struck by what they chose to share with me. And all of them chose to share with me that they find their connection with the living world, the natural world, the real world, of which we're all a part. Very therapeutic and very calming, very healing, that they're able to communicate with others better in that context and that they're able to feel a sense of release and escape from the busyness and the hubbub of the human world. So I was very grateful for these observations and this generosity, this openness with which they shared their realities with me. And I really hope that for you, you're having the opportunity to relax and find release and comfort in some part of your day. And I really hope also for you that you're having the opportunity to share what is helpful to you and others are sharing those realities with you in a way that's helpful and supportive. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with James Crofts Bennett, mostly about spiders. James, I hear you do work up at Orokanui, mostly with the, oh, oh, the okay. yeah, mostly with um, with kids and school groups coming through. What do they want to know? What are they excited about? Oh, all sorts of things. I'm actually, honestly, quite surprised by the amount of things they want to know about. The obvious ones are the birds. Uh, trees are a common one, which you might not expect as much, but kids do like trees, and that's good to see. Uh, some of them want to see the scary plants. Like we've got some lovely ace. They've got some lovely acephala out there, and the spear grass. And I love talking up a good storm about that because spiders are quite fond of acephala, so I'm quite <laughs> fond of acephala. Um, lizards are a huge one, and uh, other reptiles like tuatara are very exciting. Um, we've got a, they've got a pond where they've got a uh, waimahi, the uh, the great eel, who's always great fun because she's she knows that when there are people around, there's food around, so she comes up and says hi quite a lot. <laughs> Lots of charismatic stuff. Um, I try to sell them on the smaller things. It's, as an araniologist, you're always going to be trying to sell people on the smaller things. Um, there are a wonderful amount of insects up there. There's fungi up there. There's some very cool things that aren't quite categorized anywhere yet at the moment, like slime molds. They're always quite fun to show people. But it's typically the big things like the kaka, the kiwis, the takahe, the things that are quite visual that the kids quite enjoy. Do you take spiders with you or do you have them all down on no, the hands no, and no. knees I've, looking? I've, it's a bit of a... It's quite difficult for me because picking up a spider and putting them in a container can be quite traumatizing for the spider. It's quite a scary experience. Mm. But scaring one spider to educate a bunch of kids about spiders is probably worth that. Um, there's wonderful people like uh, Samuel Purdy who um, keeps pet spiders, spiders that are used to that sort of thing, who are very well-behaved spiders. Um, he sort of takes care of that aspect. I try to just drop the cool facts about spiders and stuff out there and that sort of gets kids caught up in it too. They could quite enjoy it. So we have a continual battle in my house about spiders because I don't mind them at all and my wife doesn't like them. Should we let them live free in the house? If you don't like spiders, you should let the spiders live there because if there's one thing that will take care of your spider problem, it's other spiders. <laughs> They're... um. 
they're not too shy about cannibalism. Uh, we often advise this, like if you don't like white tail spiders, the best spider you can have around is white tail spiders because they eat other white tail spiders <laughs> as well as other spiders. It becomes a bit a little paradoxical, but the reality is you're always going to have spiders there. Uh, it's a common thing with house spiders. Uh, they're always there. You only start to notice them either during, say, early autumn or uh, late summer when the males start wandering and looking for females. That's when you begin to notice those ones. Or if you've got such a good population, they've run out of space in all the hidden areas, so they start getting booted out and they have to look for areas out in the open. And, of course, even if you do something about it then, you've probably missed all of the stuff that's hidden away. And to be honest, you'd probably prefer to have that there because if you didn't have them, you'd start having things like wetter, not the big wetter, like the cave wetter, the crickets, the non-true wetter coming in. Uh, and personally, a cave wetter is basically a spider that jumps and kicks. So I'd rather have the spider if I was afraid of spiders. <laughs> you said that the the males start wandering and that's why we see them. Is it this time of year or a bit earlier than this? Uh, a little bit earlier this, but you still see some around. Uh, it does depend on the spider. And lately we've been having what seems like two breeding seasons. Um, like I've just noticed a big population of them that live on a bridge over of the water leaf. You can go under the bridge over the road from the, uh, over the river from uh, the stadium. And there's a huge population of all weaving spiders that live under that bridge. And they've just had their babies hatch, which is a little late in the season as far as I'm concerned, considering they've already had a hatching um, period earlier in the in this, in the season. Uh, it would have been closer to late summer. Because we hear people talking about seeing all the spiders at that time of the year, and they, they what I thought is that, what everyone says, is that you see them because they're inside because it's gotten cold outside. They're looking for the warmth. Oh, no, no. The ones that are inside are typically uh, introduced spiders, spiders from uh, other parts of the world. And it's always cold outside for them. So they like to stay inside all year round. Uh, it's just that they sit, typically hide out of the way. Uh, you do get some males that don't normally come inside for, for, for certain species. Uh, the mygalomorphs, you might see males, particularly the black tunnel web will come inside the males will anyway, looking for females. Uh, they'll be drawn towards things like your laundry or perhaps your bathroom if it's quite humid in there because they like moisture. It helps, makes it easier for them to breathe. Uh, their lungs are on the outside, so they need moisture to keep it, keep themselves breathing well. So they'll be attracted to stuff like that. Um, the big ones are Uliodons and Cambridgia. If you've had a big spider with massive fangs and long skinny legs in your bathtub, it's almost certainly Cambridgia, and it's almost certainly a male. Uh, they're a rare example of a sexual dimorphism where the male is bigger than the female, and he's got these huge, almost unusable fangs. And they're mostly, uh, from what we've seen anyway, for fending off other males when it's time to show off for the females. And earlier dawn, the, the females do wander, so they do come in sometimes, but it's mostly males. And the males are a lot chiller than the females, so uh, when it comes to ones that you don't want to handle, you don't want to handle a female Uliodon. <laughs> they can be right grumpy, but the males are okay. They're fairly docile. Is that second um, breeding cycle, is that a warming climate kind of deal? <laughs> want to be very careful about this. Uh, I don't think we've got enough data to make any definitive statement about that. But if I was to speculate, if weather was perhaps getting a little warmer, which is perhaps what we might be suggesting in New Zealand, warmer weather, particularly if there's still a bit of humidity about, if it's still raining in Dunedin, despite what they say about a dry it is, it rains here quite a bit. Uh, I would say it's becoming more and more of a suitable habitat for spiders. If spiders like anything, they like it warm and they like it moist. 
Let's take Black Betty by Spiderbait. James, I'm sure you don't just look at spiders. You live in society, so you might have observed interesting things. Do you think that we've you've seen any changes in society over the the last year because of the pandemic, the pandemic response that you you think will stick, yeah. or perhaps that you hope will stick? Uh, I wouldn't say I would have hoped they'd stick. I think people, um, in their desperation to escape confinement, um, have perhaps become 
I, I don't mind people being a little bit more rambunctious, but they've been a little bit ruder, I think. Uh, but it's it's hard to judge them because I mean I was stuck inside too, and as I might not look it, but I'm a guy who likes to be outside, so being stuck inside can be uh, quite stressful. So I understand uh, at the sacrifice of a few manners that people might want to be out and about. It does seem to have calmed down a bit. Uh, from the non-human and the non-spider point of view, um, I'm quite fond of all living things, and I've noticed the Kiriru have been out were well, at least that period just after the uh, lockdown were out and about a lot more. Um, we had several um, down by the botany department, just in the trees, like hanging about, thinking, oh, things have gotten a bit noisy again. <laughs> I was very excited yesterday, the day before, to see a kaka in Sawyer's Bay and oh, reported it. exciting. And reported it, because I'm pretty sure we haven't seen one down there before. Well, we haven't seen one down there before. So we reported it on the, um, the whatever it's called, the kaka watch citizen science thing. That's exciting. My uh, my niece and nephew live out at Sawyer's Bay, so I'll tell them to keep an eye out for Kaka as well. That's pretty cool. Is there much citizen science going on with spiders? Oh, absolutely. Um, everyone I know, like, I mean, not everyone here is what we call citizen, but everyone who's got a spider brings me a spider. And <laughs> I, I, love, I love that, and I definitely encourage that. Um, Nature Watch is an awesome place for spiders. There is a huge amount of citizen science going on there. Um, there's a lot of people uh, who... Don't, I don't think they've got any professional chops, but they should because the amount of uh, amateur professionalism I've seen over there is astounding. A lot of people bringing in absolutely stunning photos of spiders, lots of IDing going on, lots of people who have read the literature. Uh, they've read the literature a lot better than I have, which is a little embarrassing. <laughs> I'm quite impressed, to say the least. Mawera Karatai, who is my co-host on this show when she's not in the last throes of writing up her doctorate, um, is doing work on unconditional positive regard um, and applying that at a societal level and she sees it as about coming down to empathy and about imagination and I think all of those terms unconditional positive regard empathy and imagination are words which we could use to describe the sort of work that that you do and particularly the the the, the talking about spiders not just the, the research about spiders I, I, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I want people to be more empathetic to the spider's cause. Um, I know that a lot of people, when they describe uh, the things they don't like about spiders, uh, the body language they catch off spiders, the body language they're describing is a fear response. And it's the spider typically saying, I'm terrified, please don't hurt me. <laughs> uh, things like scrunching their legs up around their heads, that's a defensive curl. Uh, that means I'm afraid, don't pick me up, don't eat me. Uh, anything like running rapidly after step, stopping and standing still, that's typically, oh, you don't see me, please don't see me, and then running for cover. When they don't find cover, they go, uh-oh, I've made a huge mistake. Every predator around me seen me. I'm going to stop again and hope they don't see me. And then they stop and they wait. And if things go quiet, which humans typically do because they don't want to startle the spider, the spider goes, oh, it's quiet, I'm off again, and they take off again. <laughs> it creates a, a positive feedback loop of negative uh, attitude towards spiders, but it is literally the spider saying, I'm terrified, please don't hurt me. James, we've seen lots of changes in response to the, the pandemic. I tried getting you to talk about climate change before, and that was going to lead into this question, but you dodged it, or you were careful about how you talked about it. <laughs> 
What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for those sorts of bigger sorts of questions, things like climate change or biodiversity collapse? I think the big one is we can really reduce the amount of food we're consuming. Uh, it may seem ironic coming from me, but I am currently on a diet and I am, I am winning. So even I'm trying to cut down. And I think uh, we got huge on making food at home. I mean, we had to, didn't we? And we sort of became aware of how much money we could save doing that, which is, you know, good for us, good for our mental health to have additional wealth sitting around. But it also taught us how we could reduce our consumption, which is pretty handy as well. And I think perhaps this is the, the one that I really want to talk about. There's a lot of talk about uh, over in Venice, the, uh, the canals sort of becoming crystal clear as the boats had stopped kicking up dirt and sediment. And I know there was a lot of concern about them talking about the you know nature's returning and all that and people making up stories about the dolphins returning and all that mm-hmm. i understand that that was quite harmful at the same time the idea of reducing sediment loads and free water like that which is a viable habitat for other animals and other things such as algae and stuff like that things that are cr- crucial components of the environment as a whole that we don't really consider because they're not quite fleshy enough uh, i think there's actually a huge amount of beneficial citizen sciencery going on there uh, telling us that we can actually really very quickly improve our surrounding habitat just by being a little more considerate, uh, perhaps not going out so often. Uh, there are a lot of us humans, and uh, if we all go out at once, <laughs> it can very quickly uh, make things messy again. As the other great thing to see was the reduced amount of trash around. Oh, God, Dunedin was beautiful during the lockdown. <laughs> so I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so? In the last, oh, uh, I, there was one very recently um, where I got accepted to start doing a PhD, which I never thought was going to happen. Uh, when, I, when I first started this, uh, my, my highest aspiration was just being, you know, graduating with my bachelor's, which uh, it happened. And I thought, oh, that was a little underwhelming. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Everyone said it wasn't worth very much. So I did the master's and I thought, oh, this is probably pushing my luck for what I can do. But it went along and it was all right. And then uh, my supervisors sort of pushed me gently towards a PhD. And I thought, oh, that sounds a bit over my head, but it seems to be going well so far. Best of luck with that. We are writing a book of these. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're on the team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Now, it's not allowed to be you're bitten by a venomous spider, a radioactive spider. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe I talked to a venomous spider. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of superpowers to do with anything to do with natural science is people just sitting down and communicating with what they're working with. Uh, there's a lot of hesitation to attribute uh, anthropomorphic abilities to the things we work with, but science is currently on the rise uh, regarding how much more intelligent invertebrates are than we gave them credit and i think a key point of that is we're learning how to talk to them we're learning their language i mean every species of spider has its own individual language so the males can communicate with the females when it comes time to twang on the web and say hey i'm you know ready to get busy Uh, and we're beginning to pick up on other languages like this body language thing we've been talking about uh, recently had a talk with the wild Dunedin folks about body language and spiders and it seemed to be quite the success because I just think I think people just need someone to say hey have you noticed (laughs) it's a a superpower that's dormant in everyone 
So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I guess if push came to shove and we were talking about outlawing spiders, I would be out there protesting quite heavily. So uh, let's hope that never happens and I never have to answer that question. <laughs> so anti-anti-spider. Very much so. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, the chance to see spiders, very much so. <laughs> What's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or two? I have to learn how to do the molecular side of taxonomy when it comes to spiders. I'm fairly decent at the morphology. It's what I'm currently doing right now with some spiders I got given by James Tweed. And I'm having an absolute great time. But I'm going to have to, it, it, it's a, a two-piece puzzle these days. You have to do the molecular and the morphology. And I'm glad the morphology is still relevant, but molecular is it's chemistry and it's DNA genetics. It's all a bit over my head, but I guess if I want to be the, the best at spiders in the world, I'll have to learn it. Yeah. Is that what you're doing with the ones in the museum? Is that the plan for those as to? Oh, that, that's a huge collection. That might be pushing it too far. It's just the spiders I've got myself, but uh, spiders I go out and collect based on locations I get from the museum, probably yes. Cool. As there's a fair few of them that probably haven't been named yet. In fact, I say there's a fair few. There's an entire genus of spiders, uh, the basil bub. None of the species in New Zealand have been named yet, and we know there's like nine of them sitting around. Wow. And they'll be, they'll, be, they'll be meeting each other on the street and saying, hello, I wish I knew what to call <laughs> you this morning. <laughs> That'd be another interesting thing to talk have about. Have you seen Bob? No, not Bob. It's, it's, it's the other one, the one, the one that they haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> It'd be interesting to know if spiders do have constructs such as names for each other. There are social spiders that live in gigantic colonies, and they have to be able to tell each other apart somehow. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Oh, uh, yes, please, please learn to live with stuff that wants to invade your house. Uh, think about it this way. When have you ever used the ceiling space for anything? Because if you, if you say you've never used it for anything, surely there's no problem letting the spiders live up there for a bit of a bit of rent-free property. I mean, they're out there helping you by eating all the buzzy flying insects, which are a lot more annoying as far as I'm concerned. That's good advice. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for joining me. No problems. Thank you very much for having me. Here I am. Is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole and I can't get out. I've been here an hour and a half. Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? I woke up feeling hungry in the middle of the night. I saw a moth and thought now that would make a tasty bite. So I chased it up the mirror and along the windowsill and around behind the dental floss and then I slipped and fell. And here I am, is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole and I can't get out. I've been here an hour and a half. Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? 
slippery Cause the bath has just been cleaned Everything is cold and wet and avocado green There's a long lumpy loofah and some pumice in a dish And all I have to talk to is a purple plastic fish And here I am, is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole and I can't get out I've been here an hour and a half Can anybody help a little spider in the bath? There's no need to be frightened I won't do you any harm Just take me to the garden Where it's nice and safe and warm Gently put me down And I'll run back home to my mother One leg after the other 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 And here I am Is anyone about? I'm down beside the plug hole And I can't get Spider in the bath. Can anybody help? A little spider in the bath. Can't anybody help a little spider in the bath? I'm down here. By the You've been hole. listening to Blowing Bubbles. Positive conversations with people in their safe spaces, their bubbles around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin and I have been joined by James Crofts Bennett in the Botany Department, not very far from here, of Otago University in Dunedin. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.